let's jump in. It's been a great morning so far. Let's pray that it will continue through the word. And for the past several weeks, you know, God's presence has been the focus for our teaching time. And my prayer is that through this, we not only as a church have a better understanding of what is God's presence, but that we might know the ways that God is leading us in this season by his presence. You know, because what can we really do without God's presence? That really is the question that hopefully we all have the answer to. What can we really do? And we know Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from God's presence, we can do nothing. And so we can do a lot of things, good things even during this season. But without God's presence, it just won't bear fruit. So that's why we're praying, you know, come Lord Jesus. We need your presence. We need you in this season. We need you in our lives and our families. And so what I want to do is before we jump into this text, I just want to take a quick moment to help you understand what does it mean when we use the words God's presence? Because sometimes as Christians, that term or that language can kind of confuse us. Because we have this understanding, and it's a correct understanding, that God is always present, that he is omnipresent, that there's nowhere in heaven and earth that his presence is not. And if you you were to say, is God not always present? The answer is, well, yes, Jesus said, I am with you always, even until the end of the ages. But there are many times when God chooses and has chosen to manifest his presence at a certain time or a place or with a certain people. And we see this also in the book of Exodus. We see that the, the children of Israel, you know, as they are being led out of captivity by the hands of the Egyptians, that even when they were in slavery, God was with them right? He was never not with his people. He heard their cry. It says that, you know, their cry had gone up to God. They had heard him. But there's a specific time when God chooses by his presence to lead them out of Egypt. And we see him lead them into the wilderness by a pillar of cloud during the day and a, and a pillar of fire by night. You know, God's presence is both the goal of history, but it is also the means by which God accomplishes this goal. Meaning that while history will end with the whole world being filled with his glory and his presence, you know, God also uses his presence as a means of accomplishing, of achieving this goal. And for those who know God and are known by him, we will experience his presence as his divine love, his divine mercy, his divine grace. But for those who do not know him, who knowingly reject his love, they will also experience his presence, but it will be experienced not as divine mercy and divine grace, but as divine judgment, as, just, as divine justice. For God's presence comes to wage war against that which resists his goal of filling the world with his glory. And we see in the book of Revelation that both the wrath of God which is something we don't like to talk about very much in 2021, that the wrath of God comes from the exact same place that the mercy and forgiveness of God comes from, and that is his presence. But as J.I. Packer, the great Anglican theologian, once said, nobody, oop, I just skipped ahead here, nobody stands under the wrath of God save those who have chosen to do so. The wrath of God is not something we experience unless we willingly and knowingly choose to put ourselves under his wrath. For those who choose to take shelter under the blood of the lamb, we undoubtedly know his presence as love. For it is Jesus who received divine judgment so that we could receive the divine grace and mercy of God. Now... When we come into God's presence, there's no need for fear. For in his presence, Psalm 1611 says, there is fullness of joy. Joy. 
And that is what our story is all about today. It is a moment in God's redemptive history where God's presence is made known. And his presence, for those who know him, who are called by him, they experience his mercy found in his, in his joy, or his presence in his joy and mercy because they chose to put their trust in him. But for those who, who did not trust in him, who, do not, who did not choose to receive him, they found his divine judgment and wrath in his presence because they knowingly hardened their hearts against him. And that is the story of the Red Sea crossing in Exodus chapter 14. You know, for those of you who are newer to the faith, you know, this is a story that has been always considered to be the, one of the, the most pinnacle moments in Israel's salvation story. God brings the people out of Egypt, and they come to this place, this Red Sea, and the Egyptians begin to pursue them, and they're sort of stuck. There's nowhere to go. And God, by his miraculous provision, opens the waters so that the Israelites can walk through on dry ground. But as they walk through, the, Israel, the Egyptians pursue into the water, and then God chooses to close the waters over the Egyptians. It was a his, his sign of his divine grace, his divine mercy on the people of Israel, and ultimately brought about their salvation. But it's not just a story that is significant for Jews. It is also a, a story significant for Christians as well. You know, if you put yourself, uh, you know, in the place of a Jew there who is on their way out of Egypt, that you, God has brought you through the Red Sea and you're on your way to the land of Canaan, the promised land, you might say something like this, that I was in a foreign land under the sentence of death, in bondage, but took shelter under the blood of the Lamb. And my mediator let us out and we crossed over. And now we are on the way to the promised land. We're not there yet, but his presence is in our midst and he is going to stay with us. But that's something that we as Christians would say on our own Exodus journey from death to life. And while the Old Testament has at least two dozen references to the Red Sea, you know, the New Testament also makes some pretty significant statements as well. We see in Matthew's gospel, it says of Jesus, that out of Egypt, I have called my son. In Luke's gospel, while Jesus is being transfigured at the transfiguration, we see Moses and Elijah discussing with Jesus the upcoming events of his death. And the word death is actually translated in the Greek as the Greek word for exodus. Hebrews identifies Jesus as being the greater Moses and identifies the Red Sea as a paradigm to Christian faith. The book of Hebrews says that by faith, the Israelites passed through the sea on dry land, but the Egyptians couldn't do it. Why? Because they didn't have faith. Finally, Paul relates in 1 Corinthians the events of the Red Sea of Israel being baptized into Moses. And he relates this baptism into Moses as our Christian baptism into Christ's death and life. And so what exactly happened out there on that Red Sea that makes this moment so significant, not just then, but now? Well, you see, as God brought Israel out of Egypt, they had to head out into the wilderness. And now the wilderness is the desert, essentially. And like you might imagine, the wilderness is not a place you want to be for a very long time, let alone 40 years, as you know how the story goes. You know, there's no food, there's no shelter, there's no water, there's no protection from your enemies. But in order to get to the land of Canaan, they had to go through the wilderness. And so God brings them into the wilderness. And now if you were to draw a line on a map on the most direct, quickest route from Egypt to Canaan, the Red Sea is not going to show up on your GPS. They're not supposed to end up at the Red Sea if they're going from Egypt to Canaan. 
But God, we see in Exodus chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, you can also turn there, instructs the Israelites to actually turn back and head back towards Egypt and instructs them to camp by the Red Sea. Now, the Red Sea is also known as the Reed Sea. And, and when we hear the word reeds, we might think of marshy waters. But this is not a shallow, marshy water. This is a deep, deep sea. In fact, later on, we'll see Solomon will choose to put his fleet of ships in the Red Sea. So you imagine that this is our, these are deep waters. This is not just a small body of water. And he has them camp by this Red Sea. And why God does this, it says in the text that God wants Pharaoh to believe that by turning back that the Israelites were either lost or confused or walking aimlessly and just sort of maybe afraid to go out into the wilderness. We see that, you know, the Pharaoh, because God has hardened his heart, he takes the bait. He takes the bait. And, he be- and God says hardens his heart, and as a result, he mobilizes his very best soldiers to begin pursuing the Israelites so that he might be able to bring them back into his service. Now, it doesn't take very long for Pharaoh to catch up, it says. And the Israelites realize really quickly that they're in a tough spot. You know, in front of them is this sea. It's not a small sea. You can't swim over the sea. And as well, behind them is this, you know, army that is charging, who is wanting to lead them back into their captivity or perhaps their death. But it is not by accident that they are in this place. It is not by accident that indeed it was God who brought them to this place with no way forward and no way backwards so that they might know that life is not defined by what is in front of us or behind us, but instead it is defined by the one who is with us. They are brought to a place where the only one who is going to get them out of it is God and God alone. And truthfully, You know, when you think about our lives, there are moments in our lives where God lovingly leads us to a place where the only one able to move is not us, not you, not me, but him and him alone. And when you've arrived at this place, unable to move forwards, unable to go backwards, you have effectively arrived at your very own Red Sea. Congratulations. Congratulations. And like the Israelites, nobody wants to be brought to this place, let alone God to bring us to this place. In fact, rarely does anybody even know they're at their own Red Sea until, well, God is part of the waters and brought you through it. Very rarely do we ever know when God is bringing us to the Red Sea. And what the Red Sea moment is not, it's not the unfortunate circumstances that we all encounter in this life. You know, it's not coincidences. It's not unfortunate circumstances. Instead, there's something very different about when God brings you to your Red Sea because you are there for a very specific purpose. You are not there by accident, but you are there for a divine reason. To know that despite all your good intentions, all your good thoughts, all your good deeds, that God has something he wants to show you or teach you, or do in your life, to maybe uproot in you, or to transform you, so that you might better know his love, or to deepen your trust, or even lead you out of sin, and more into his freedom. But the idea that a loving God might lead you and I to a very difficult place, like the Red Sea, is very, it's often a very difficult for one for people like us here in 2021 to process. 
And one of the most, one of the unavoidable realities of living in any culture in any time throughout history is the ways that we unintentionally and unassumingly process God and our faith through our own deeply embedded cultural beliefs. We all do it, no matter what period of time we lived in. And perhaps the most deeply embedded belief of all is this cultural belief that human flourishing is possible through the means of human progress. You know, if there's a one word that defines this moment in time, it is that word progress. That as life becomes easier through progress, life should become better. And as life becomes better, then people therefore should become happier. And any problem it presents itself in this cultural paradigm is a problem that must be eliminated in order that it does not impede upon our happiness. And fortunately, our culture celebrates the many ways and the many problems which have been eliminated through the means of science and technology and politics and morality that we have progressed. And, and all of these modern conveniences are the result of that progression. Now, are you saying, Pastor Terry, you would rather live in the dark ages than live here in 2021? I'm saying no. I enjoy, you know, running water and vanilla lattes and two-day shipping from Amazon Prime. That's not what I'm saying. But that these modern conveniences have effectively taught us to believe that it is possible to flourish as a human being apart from the presence of God. This is secularism 101. This is street-level popular secularism. And while you may not believe it, you better believe that you are living in a culture that believes it. That if God does exist, that secularism does not deny perhaps the existence of God, but if he does exist, he exists from a distance. And that his central goal for you in your life is that you become one of the good people, right? To live good and fair and nice lives. And the role of the church is to help you become one of those good people, to help you find goodness. And so God's presence really is only necessary when certain problems arise that our human progress cannot fix. It cannot resolve. Then might you reach out to God and pray that he asks that he comes and he helps you fix the problems that you can't fix on your own. And well, as long as God is processed through this cultural lens, well, honestly, everything continues to work out pretty well as long as life continues to work out pretty well, doesn't it? And I think for a large chunk of our recent history, life has gone pretty well. That there hasn't been any really big, significant challenges even to our faith. But what happens when life happens? That despite all this progress, life continues to be cruel and unfair. That despite all the unlimited pleasures at our fingertips, we still see our people experiencing significant mental health challenges, and especially our young people. That the people in whom we've placed our trust, our leaders, you know, even they are failing us or deceiving us or misleading us. That our technology is giving us a front row seat to all of the suffering in the world. And sometimes we watch that suffering take place with popcorn in our hands. And despite never having it so good in all of human history, we are still more divided than ever before. I think what we're seeing right now taking place in our culture is that this deeply ingrained belief of human progress apart from God's presence is falling in on itself. And I think that is really good news. And I'm going to go out on a limb here, but I think right now what our world is experiencing is its very own Red Sea moment. I'm going 
I'm going to suggest that it's not just the pandemic I'm talking about. I think it's years leading up to it. But I think God has brought us to this place. I'm not saying God's brought about these events, but God is bringing us to this place that there's no way in front of us. We can't get through what's ahead, and we can't go backwards. And we're frustrated, and we're angry, and we're trying to bring all of human means into this, all of our progress, all the things that we've leaned on, and despite all of our best intentions, we can't get out of it on our own. What if God's presence has led us to this very moment for a specific reason and purpose? You know, we thought we'd have crossed this Red Sea by now. If there's anything that articulates this moment, it's like, I thought we'd be done with this and we could move on with our lives. Anyone ever feel that? I know I feel. I felt two weeks after this thing started. I was like, can we just go back? We want to get out of this so fast, and despite our best intentions, we can't get out of it. We want to move forward. We can't move backwards, and we are stuck. And what you're seeing is some people are trying to cross the sea on their own, and they are drowning. Others are saying, you know, I'm done with this. I'm going to go back. I'm just going to go back to that life of bondage like the Israelites wanted to do. Some have hardened their hearts against God like Pharaoh and the Egyptians did. But what if the only way we can get across this Red Sea moment is to be led by God's presence? What if all of this is not just an accident, but is part of God's redemptive plan for his creation? I don't know. I'm asking these questions in the sense that I don't know because rarely does anyone know when they are in a Red Sea moment. Rarely does anyone know when God has brought you to the Red Sea. Israel didn't know what God was going to do anymore that we know what God is going to do and God is still yet to do. But what we do know is that when Israel saw that the Egyptians were pursuing them and that there was no way to go in front of them, what they said to God were these words, why couldn't you just leave us alone? In Exodus 14, 10 to 12, it says, What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we have said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. We have no idea what's on the other side of this Red Sea moment, do we? How many times, though, in our sinful flesh do we say to God's Spirit, Just leave us alone? How many times have I said to God, leave me alone. I know better. I can do this on my own. But you can't cross this Red Sea. We can't cross this Red Sea any more than they could cross the Red Sea on their own strength and their own power. The good news is that when we say leave us alone, God says I will never leave you nor forsake you. And my presence, it goes with you even when you don't go with my presence. And so maybe we are at a Red Sea moment. Maybe we aren't. I don't know. Maybe you specifically, as you hear this, you're like, I think I'm at my Red Sea moment. God has brought me to this place. Let me encourage you today that if, in fact, God has brought you and I to this place, only he is going to lead us through it. Only he is going to lead us through it. We can harden our hearts. We can tell God to leave us alone and let it do our ways. We can try to swim across on our own. But if we do, we will fail. Because the only way, there's one way for you and I to cross the Red Sea, and that is by grace, through faith. By grace, through faith. Exodus 14, 13 to 14. And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians 
whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. What do you do when you can't move forward, and you can't move backwards, and you are stuck, and there's no way out of it? You put your trust in God. You put your trust in God. You trust God when there is a sea of uncertainty before you and there is no way out behind you. You trust that God who is with you today will be greater than anything that stands in your way. What I love about what Moses does is that Moses has no idea what God is about to do. God doesn't say to Moses, hey, oh, really? You're going to do that? Moses... God doesn't reveal to Moses that he's about to part the waters, that he's about to deliver them from their enemies, and that they will walk through on dry land, but when the Egyptians walk through, the, the waters will come crashing in on them. He doesn't say any of that. All Moses knew was that if God had brought them to this place, he was going to make a way out of it. He was going to make a way through it. All they needed to do was have faith. And the beautiful thing about faith is it's not just this generic word, like just have faith, it's all good. No, there's specific things we can do when God calls us to have faith. Moses says, have faith. What does it mean, Moses, to have faith? Don't be afraid. Fear not. Stand firm and watch and see what God is going to do. Fear not. Stand firm. Watch and see how God will fight for you. Fear not. You know, those are the same words every single time God makes his presence known. And what does God say, whether that's through an angel or through his very own presence? says, fear not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You know, Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid. Why? For I am with you. My presence is with you. Don't be discouraged. For I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. That doesn't make the Red Sea in any rest less real reality of what we face. But if God is with us, what power does the Red Sea have over the power, the right hand of God? You know, fear can do a lot of things, but what fear can't make you do is put your trust in God. It can't lead you to deepen your trust in Him. That is why God calls us to not be afraid. What are you afraid of today? I don't ask that even just rhetorically. I mean, like, literally. What makes you afraid today? Fear not. Do not be afraid. God is with you, and he has not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and power and sound mind. Whatever you face today, while it may, the fear may not be, be any less real, God's strength will be there. He will be with you and he will help you. Fear not. Number two, God, Moses says, fear not and stand firm. Stand firm. You know, standing firm is the opposite of being frozen in fear, right? We can stand in fear or we can stand firm in the strength and faith in the Lord, Right? We can stand firm. Standing firm is the opposite of standing in fear. Standing firm is like standing with a readiness. It is like an unmovability that you can push on me, you can press on me, but I'm not moving from the spots. I love what Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of past, says. He says, I dare say you will think it is a very easy thing to stand still. 
But it is one of the postures which a Christian soldier learns not without years of teaching. I find that marching and quick marching are much easier to God's warriors than standing still. It is perhaps the first thing we learn in the drill of human armies, but it is one of the most difficult to learn under the captain of our salvation. You know, when you come to the Red Sea, standing firm is not an instinct that just is naturally in us. It has to be trained. It has to be fostered. It has to be developed as we learn to abide in God's presence so God teaches us to stand firm in the Lord. I remember when I was in the hospital because of an anaphylactic reaction to my allergy to, to peanuts. And I remember like this moment where I was suffocating. My lungs were growing tired and I couldn't breathe. And everything inside of me just wanted to panic. And, and what do you do when you can't breathe? You want to take more and more breaths. And I remember the nurses around me saying, Terry, slow your breathing down. You're going to run out of oxygen. You're going, you, the only way out of it, it says completely counterproductive to what you want to do in this moment. You have to take the slowest breaths possible. And what was amazing was the very next time that I was in that situation, because I haven't learned how to, not ask people when I go to their house what's in the food that they made is that when I got to that place you know it what was not instinctual the first time around it was like okay breathe slowly breathe slowly you'll be okay you'll be okay standing firm has to be trained in order for it to become an instinct notice how the bible calls us to stand firm a few verses up here we have that up there in the slide Be watchful and stand firm in the faith. Resist him firm in your faith. Now, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. Does not say stand firm in your own strength, in your own knowledge, in your own ways. It says stand firm in the strength and in the Lord. Stand firm in your faith. Fear not, stand firm. And finally, and we'll close with this, watch and see, see. Sometimes, you know, when God brings you to the Red Sea, he calls you to see with your spiritual eyes before you will ever see with your, you know, earthly eyes. And we need to sometimes see the miracle long before we ever, in faith, before we see the miracle in the flesh. You know, we see in faith that all of life's problems are subservient to the providence and love of God. We see in faith that all our enemies will be utterly destroyed if we can just wait. We see in faith that all the things, even the most deadly and unexplainable things, work together for good for those that love God. What is God wanting you to see today in faith that you cannot yet see in the flesh? Where is God calling you to stand firm rather than freeze in fear? What is God calling you today to fear not when everything inside you wants to be afraid? Notice, this is how we cross the Red Sea. We notice it's not anything we do in our flesh. Like, it's what we do in faith that makes the difference. Because if God's going to open the waters and bring us through it, it's going to be by his grace. It's the grace of God that opened the waters, and the Israelites walked through it on dry ground. And it was the judgment and the wrath that those who rejected him, who hardened their hearts against him, walked through those same waters and the waves came crashing in. There was only one way through our Red Sea and it only happens by grace through faith. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, and I close with this. For by grace 
you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Would you stand to your feet? Because we don't only just cross the Red Sea by grace through faith. We cross over from death to life by grace through faith. And I just want to make the invitation today, if there's anyone here today who you have recognized that you've been striving, you've been doing things in your own strength, and you've come to a place, you just can't get out of it anymore, you're stuck, you've come to the end of yourself. Do you know how many people in this room would say that they found the Lord at a place where they had to come to the end of themselves? Out of answers, nowhere left to turn. Sometimes God puts us in that corner. I know for me that was it. God put me in a corner like a boxer in a boxing ring, put me in a corner until I said, okay, uncle, if God has brought you to that place, don't just throw it off as coincidence or circumstance. Perhaps God has brought you to that place for a reason, and he wants to show you a revelation of his love. He wants to reveal his presence to you today, and if you open your heart to him through faith, he will show you his grace. He will show you his grace. That doesn't mean that every external Red Sea is suddenly going to open up. But I promise you this, that every, that internal Red Sea, that barrier that prevented you from God, from having access to God, from having relationship with God, it will, the waters will part when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. As your Lord and salvation, the waters will open and you will walk through from death to life. You will know today the Lord is the Lord of salvation, like Moses said. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. So if that's you, I just want to invite you right now to pray a prayer with me. And let's, together as a church, just bow our heads and pray. Oh God, we, we just come before a holy God, a good God, a God who is always with us, God, but you have chosen to make your presence known here in this place, God. We have sensed your presence today as we've worshiped, as we've prayed, God. There's no doubt in my mind you are here, Lord, and not just here in an omnipresence sense. God, you have here, you have made your presence known in this place, and that is when we say you are here, that is what we mean. And God, Lord, I pray today that all of us would experience that presence of God as your divine grace and mercy because that is how you want to, us to know your presence. God, you do not want us to experience your presence as divine wrath or divine judgment because, God, you sent your Son into the world to be judged for that which we should have been judged. That is our sin. He took the penalty of death. He was crucified on a cross so that we might know God and his presence as being the God of love and mercy and grace. It is all because of what you have done. It is nothing we can do our, on our own lest we might boast in our own salvation. God, I don't know what you're doing right now in this world. God, only you know, Lord, but we will trust in you. If this is a Red Sea moment, God, may we humble ourselves. May we not be like the Israelites who said, leave us alone. Let us go back to our, our, our bondage. Let's go back to the way things were. Because God, if you've brought us to this place, there's something on the other side of that sea. It's far greater than what we can see and know. So right now, God, just help us to trust in you. Trust in you, Lord, that you will open up the waters at the exact moment that you are ready to do so. All we need to do right now, Lord, is to fear not to fear not, to stand firm, and to watch and see. Watch and see what you will do, O oh God. 
Lord, we will have faith today, God, because it is by grace that we receive this salvation. We love you today, and I pray if anyone would pray this prayer for the first time, they may know today, oh God, that the waters have been opened and they are invited to walk through it, to come to the other side and to know the eternal life, the salvation, the the relationship that awaits with the one who created them. Lord, we love you today. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Well, at this time, we are going to dismiss, but what we want to do is we want to make a big, a little bit of a shift to our post-service prayer. And so previously, we'd ask our prayer team to come forward, but during this time, during COVID and all that stuff, we may have a better solution. What we're going to ask, if you need prayer today, if there's something you'd like prayer for, we just ask that you have a seat after service. Just stay in your seat, and one of our prayer team members is going to come to you and pray with you in your seat. So if you'd like prayer, all you got to do is sit down. And uh, if you're just sitting down to take a rest and someone comes up to pray with you, just pray with them if you'd like. If not, just say, I'm okay. But uh, I want to bless you all today as you go. Have a happy Thanksgiving. uh, And I hope that you just find it restful. If you're with family, enjoy yourself. And uh, we'll see you next Sunday. So God bless you all.